Welcome to the Future Fix. To me, the best tech and data solutions are the ones that are able to address multiple problems at once. It can often help the idea come to fruition if it's serving a number of purposes and is more likely to scale outward and take hold in more communities if it can make that promise. Take energy efficiency, for example. There are a number of reasons a community would want to encourage energy efficiency, combating climate change, easing pressure on infrastructure, etc., But what if it could also help families who are struggling to make ends meet and be delivered as part of a network of community services? You're listening to The Future Fix, solutions for communities across Canada. This is Season 4 of The Future Fix, an audio exploration of the way technology and data are shaping communities across Canada. I'm Glenn Bowerman. Each episode, we present community challenges and solutions and take you to places large and small from coast to coast to coast. The town of Bridgewater, Nova Scotia, is a picturesque community on the Lahave River in Lunenburg County. In 2019, it was awarded the Smart City Challenge Prize in the $5 million category for its Energize Bridgewater Energy Poverty Reduction Plan. Since then, it has worked to identify where energy waste is occurring, retrofit living spaces to be more efficient and therefore affordable, combat climate change, and help vulnerable community members. To explain Energize Bridgewater, we spoke to Bridgewater's Senior Energy Manager, Asad Hussein, and Planner, Megan Doucette. I think the best way to begin is, uh, you know, very succinctly, what is Energize Bridgewater? Energize Bridgewater got started through work that the town was doing back in 2016, 2017, and 2018 to develop a community energy plan. So right around the time that the federal government had announced the Smart Cities Challenge, we had just developed this plan for how we wanted to move forward in our community to reduce energy and reduce energy poverty. So that is kind of how our project initiated. So we had done all this planning work and community engagement and things like that leading up to it. And then being able to participate in the Smart Cities Challenge really launched the programming that we knew we wanted to do, but would not have been able to move as quick as we have since then. So the there's several programs related to Energize Bridgewater that we're delivering. One of them is a retrofitting program, so it's called Energize Bridgewater Home Upgrades, and we are supporting people with lower incomes to do home energy upgrades, like heat pumps, insulation, all that good stuff, and a lot of those are free, and it's an income-qualified program, so people need to fall under the low-income cutoff set nationally to participate, and 
if they want to go above and beyond and do things like solar panels or upgrade their windows and doors or any kind of additional things that aren't covered for free, we also offer low interest financing for that through our clean energy financing program. And so that has a 1% interest rate. So it makes it a lot more accessible for people to do some of those upgrades as well. And then another program that we're offering in collaboration with our partners at the Social Open Doors Association is a coordinated access system. And this is really about providing some wraparound community supports. We know that people who are experiencing energy poverty and are struggling to pay for their energy bills may be facing other challenges as well. So the Social Open Doors Association works largely with people experiencing housing insecurity and homelessness and all the the array of challenges that people may be experiencing at the same time as those things. And they help connect them to resources in the community, other nonprofits that can help housing and things like that. They can also help connect them with uh, Nova Scotia Power to support working through a process if they have energy arrears and things like that. So they are doing an amazing job working on the ground with people who are really struggling the most in our community. And then maybe I'll pass it off to Asad to talk about our energy management information system. So I want to start with the uh, energy transition. So it is well known like we need to transition from hydrocarbons to renewable energy. And this transition would not be easy. Uh, For instance, like we are investing significantly in renewable energy, but the amount of energy we need to go towards renewable energy is not actually there. So we have some investment. Uh, they have been increasing for investment towards renewable energy, and there has been decrease in uh, investment towards hydrocarbon. However, the demand for energy has been increasing. And uh, there was a report, I believe, basically by end of 2023, there will be about 1.3 billion people without access to energy. So in this picture of energy transition, the question of energy access becomes very, very important. And energy poverty is linked with that. And when we talk about energy transition, we have to consider climate change because climate change is already here. So we cannot delay our energy transition because of all these challenges that we have in terms of investment. So we have to implement the energy transition. And uh, then we have some of the issues that are influencing this picture that includes COVID, geopolitics, all of these things have influenced our global energy market and energy prices have increased significantly and then that is affecting uh, the energy poverty levels. So the energy poverty levels will continue to increase and they will have impact on health, economics and the food prices. Uh, We can already see the food prices have been increasing significantly over last two years. So it is having a cascading effect and how we would basically transform our energy infrastructure, it would influence our uh, development outcomes as well in Nova Scotia and in Canada in general. And all the impacts that we will uh, basically experience due to energy poverty, that includes health, economics, or the food prices, they will have a social impact as well. So the energy poverty is a very important issue that we should consider because it is experienced throughout the world. It is experienced uh, all over Canada, but on the on the Atlantic side, it is much more severe. I believe it is two out of every five houses that is experiencing energy poverty. And according to International Energy Agency, basically we can address this problem 
immediately governments and policy makers have a significant role to play in this uh, picture and the immediate response could be the energy efficiency and we are trying to consider the energy efficiency through our programs that megan has covered quite well already so we are trying to directly address the energy efficiency and for instance like when we talk about buildings or residential buildings we can improve the energy efficiency of those buildings by addressing the operations by addressing the building envelope by addressing the energy systems so we are already considering the building envelope and the energy systems by considering through our home upgrades program by considering the different retrofitting that megan already went over and in order to make sure that we don't have a rebound effect uh, once they start saving some money they don't spend uh, again uh, a lot more on the energy we are trying to implement energy management and information system and through this energy ema system we want to instill energy efficiency habits and we want to consider slight slow and uh, slight behavior change in residential energy use as well through operational energy usage or operational side of things basically we can improve about 40% of the energy and overall like uh, if if we consider energy efficiency in all of the energy sectors considering like commercial buildings residential buildings industry or energy sector itself if we consider energy efficiency up to 30% we can meet the paris agreement that is curtailing our uh, environmental temperature increase to 1.5 degree centigrade to pre-industrial era we can do that by just by addressing the energy efficiency so i would say like basically we are trying to hit this through this program we are trying to improve the energy efficiency directly because this is the most cost effective thing that we can do uh, while we wait for the investment towards renewable energies so i, I think people understand generally the, the need for energy efficiency in terms of climate change and that when you talk about energy poverty let's say i i'm struggling to to pay the bills for for my family uh, and uh, my house is inefficient i'm getting billed money i i don't necessarily have that i don't need to be spending just because of the lack of efficiency that's kind of where the social help comes from Exactly. Yeah. So the goal of Energize Bridgewater is that the homeowners that we work with will see a 50% on average for the whole cohort of the program, on average 50% reduction in their cost of energy for their home. And then the the ultimate goal, uh, or the immediate goal, I should say, is is to reduce energy poverty by 20% by 2026, which is coming up. Yep. So we're we're getting to that point, and we are starting to see some of the results roll in. We have 55 homes signed up for the Energize Bridgewater Home Upgrades program so far, and we're still taking applications in. And it's been interesting to work through this process and work with some great partners here in Nova Scotia. We have Efficiency Nova Scotia, who we're working with, and a nonprofit called the Clean Foundation, who are helping us to deliver these programs. And we really learned as a small town that we wouldn't be able to do this on our own. So it's been great to be working with others in our community who can help make the biggest impact for the people that live here. Right. And I gave the hypothetical of a single family, but uh, I know that uh, through this program, you're also working with uh, landlords of multi-units residential to to retrofit those entire buildings. And hopefully the cost savings would be passed down to the to the tenants. 
That's right. So our program for uh, uh, multi-unit buildings is called uh, Affordable Multifamily Housing, and landlords in Bridgewater can sign up to participate. We have 46 units going through that program right now. And so how that works is we really wanted to make sure that these units would remain affordable because typically when a building owner does upgrades, it can lead to raising the rent to cover those costs. So with the program that we offer, landlords get up to 80% rebated for the cost of their energy upgrades. And then in exchange, they sign an agreement to hold rents for 12 years at affordable rates. So that would be the number of units depends on the building, but it's at least four units or 30% of the units in the building, whichever number is greater. So we're trying to build in that affordability everywhere we can. And uh, Asad, uh, in terms of finding where those efficiencies might lie, uh, c- can you explain a little bit about the, the the energy assessments that you do, How you know, where these savings can happen or, or this, uh, you know, increase in efficiency? Yeah, we start with the uh, energy assessments that we, uh, energy assessment reports that we get from Anarkin. With the home upgrades, there would be a survey of the house. Uh, they will uh, realize the current state of the building. They, they would do some energy modeling. And uh, with that, they would capture the actual pictures they have uh, for the residents. Okay. And from there, basically, we we get the building characteristics data that we would need for our analysis. And with our EMS program, we are trying to capture real, real-time data stream that would include energy usage and uh, some of the indoor environment like CO2 levels, temperatures, indoor temperatures, humidity levels, these sort of things. And also we will try to connect the energy uses indoor environment with the outdoor environment. So we will get some of the real-time weather data. And uh, with this data stream, we will connect the building characteristics. We will try to connect uh, some of the uh, particular details about the occupants. And we will make a connection between, uh, basically, we will uh, have a model that would be estimate using these conditions to the energy usage. And with that model, basically, we will do some basic uh, analysis. However, we will try to connect the energy usage with some of the socioeconomic information about the household and connect it to energy poverty as well. So we can have some better understanding about the energy poverty for that particular household and energy poverty in our community in general. For the analytics that we are considering to bring about energy efficiency and and, uh, try to educate our program participants, we have divided uh, this analytics into different phases. And right now we are in the first phase of analytics. And in this phase, we are considering four groups. Uh, First one is the uh, energy efficiency analysis. And in this energy efficiency analysis, we will consider energy consumption analysis, building characteristics versus uh, energy use, occupant behavior analysis, and energy use uh, versus outdoor environment, and energy efficiency improvements. So this this is the first group. And in the second group, we, we try to consider the cost and environmental impact. And in this, uh, we will try to cover cost analysis. So in the cost analysis, we will consider how much they are spending during the weekdays, during the weekends, and in which segments during the day they are spending more. So basically, they would have the information to their self, and they, if they want to consider some change, they can. And uh, next, we have the environmental impact analysis. So we will try to connect the energy uses cost and also provide the GEG emissions 
uh, in real time, uh, their daily or their weekly GG missions. These sort of things, if they are uh, doing well, we will try to appraise them as well. So they would know about these things. And uh, lastly, we have energy conservation and indoor comfort in this group. And this is very important. So here we try, we would try to come up with energy conservation strategies for them based on their environment, uh, try to improve their comfort levels. For instance, uh, the, these analysis are still very basic, I would say, but I think we can make slight difference in their uh, operational habits and try to consider temperatures, humidity, CO2 levels, and uh, basically we will classify the temperatures. We will sample uh, the data throughout the week. And at the end of the, the week, we will try to provide them their performance. For, for the temperature wise, like if they are within 18 to 20 degrees centigrade range, they would receive a notification that says congratulations or you are doing really well. And if they are not, then we'll try to uh, connect the dots with the building characteristics. If uh, it's a leaky household, maybe they need to use better ventilation on those sort of things, or maybe we can prescribe them some uh, improvements uh, in terms of temperature change. And uh, same thing for the uh, humidity levels. So if it is between 35 to 50% or 60% for relative humidity, we will praise them like you are fine. You are maintaining a very healthy environment uh, indoors for yourself. But if they are not, if they are below, we'll try to prescribe them some changes. And if they are above, uh, same thing as well. So they will need to make certain changes, maybe use dehumidifier or something. And, and especially like we have the humidity levels in Nova Scotia are generally very high. So we'll try to identify these problems and maybe there could be a, some initiative from towns, town or like where we can provide them with humidifier, demutifiers uh, if needed here. Yeah. And uh, after this, we have group three where we are considering con consumer satisf satisfaction and well-being. In this group, we will consider consumer sat satisfaction uh, surveys and uh, so we are basically uh, building some of the surveys that we would do on regular basis in our uh, in our system to realize their feedback. And uh, then we have comparative analysis. So we'll try to draw some peer-to-peer -peer com comparison, comparison with the benchmark case where we will consider our ideal building and see if, if they are doing well or not uh, as compared to, to that ideal case. And that will help us identify the improve, energy improvement areas where we can work with them. And after this, we have alerts and notification system that we are considering for, for the indoor environment. Uh, so if if like they have significantly high CO2 levels, we would like to uh, send them a notification like there is something wrong, or maybe you may need to make, consider some changes here. So for our last group, we are considering energy poverty mitigation. And in this group, uh, we are considering energy poverty analysis, affordability assessment, and energy saving uh, identifications. So it is extension to uh, our cost and environmental impact analysis. Over here, we will try to consider or encourage them towards more energy efficiency or energy efficient habits. So like, let's say if they are maintaining like 18 degrees centigrade during, uh, during summers, Maybe we can encourage them to increase one degree centigrade more, and but we'll try to reason with them through their cost benefits, through the environmental impact that uh, that will basically uh, triggered by changing just one degree centigrade in their households. 
so the, these are the things that we are trying to do uh, in terms of information that we want to share through the analytics uh, utilizing their data uh, I was just thinking that uh, I, I would like the city of Toronto to call me and give me a congratulations, but I'm sitting in this uh, drafty apartment. I don't think I get that call. <laughs> uh, for the record, I rent though. But <laughs> but um, there's also a, kind of a, a social uh, outreach and and transit planning component to this. Uh, if I understand, uh, you, you connect people experiencing poverty and homelessness with services, and as well, you you've been looking at the transportation systems in Bridgewater. Uh, can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah. So the homelessness and housing insecurity piece is where we partner with the Social Open Doors Association. So for short, they're called SODA. And that's how a lot of people know them in our community here. And they opened up in May of 2022. So last year. And there was a great need right off the bat for them to provide these services. So they're a central intake point. So anyone who's experiencing homelessness, housing insecurity, or related challenges can go do an intake with their intake worker. And then they as an organization will identify what services are available in the community and match the individuals or the households up with those services. They also have housing support workers um, and a trustee. So they have some eviction prevention kind of measures that they can support with and things like that. So we have a contract with them to deliver those services, and we were anticipating that they would serve 350 households by the end of our project in 2026, and they have already intaked 415 households who are in great need in the community. So it's been very eye-opening to see their work unfold over the past year and a half or so and see how much need there is in the community I um, moved to Bridgewater from Halifax, where homelessness is more visible, and we don't really, we still don't see it as much in Bridgewater. There aren't tent encampments and things like that, but there are people sleeping rough here, and it's really illuminated the the severity of the issue of affordable housing and homelessness, and the fact that this is very present in our community and, and in smaller towns all around Nova Scotia. So. It's been interesting to see their data rolling in and then see how we might be able to support more services for that. So our community development department is working on affordable housing plans and policies. And that's just kind of one thing that's rolled out from that. And in terms of the transportation piece of our project, that is something that was part of our original proposal and has somewhat been rescoped. So we aren't actively working on that at the moment, um, but we do have a transit system in place that was just started up a few years ago in 20, either 2017 or 18. It was before I started with the town. So it's something that we're kind of trying to monitor and support and hopefully connect back in with Energized Bridgewater. We know that transportation is a huge cost for people. And so we also have an active transportation plan that was approved in 2020. So there are kind of some of those pieces happening, but it's not as much of an active part of the Energized Bridgewater project at this point. Right. So as you said, the the kind of inception of, of Energized Bridgewater, I think you said 2016? Yes. Our community energy plan was approved in 2017, I believe. Mm -hmm. Late 2017, early 2018, I think. Bridgewater was awarded uh, the, for their proposal of $5 million uh, in 2019. It seems like the scope of this 
if it can continue to build, is going to reach from kind of a very simple, not simple to solve, but a, a simple problem in that how you know energy efficiency. Let's make housing more energy efficient to basically reaching you know every aspect of people's lives and affordability, getting around uh, and participating in the city. Is that the the ultimate goal to kind of energize in in every sense of the word the town at large? Yeah, uh, I would like to add uh, add to this point. Uh, there is lack of recognition and consideration of energy poverty in in most of our frameworks at the provincial level, at the federal level. So this initiative is, I think, in that sense, it's very important. With this understanding, it could provide us with better understanding, and then uh, we can come up with a better response as well towards poverty in general and the energy poverty. Yeah, and it is extremely important to consider in this energy transition phase. The world is going through an energy crisis, so the poor household would be uh, affected by it most. Yeah. They spend roughly 30% on their food needs of their income, 30% of their income on their food needs. And if they are overspending on energy usage, then it will be really difficult to get by for them. Yeah. So it, it seems like this program has been pretty successful. You've, you've already spoken about some of the outcomes. What are some of the immediate goals, uh, you know, in, in let's say the next two years? We, we talked about the, the 2026 goal of reducing energy poverty by 20%. Are there any other benchmarks that uh, you're looking to in, in the short term? So with the Energized Bridgewater Home Upgrades Program and the Affordable Multifamily Housing Program, we have a target of supporting 125 units, whether that be homeowner, kind of single family or duplex or mobile homes or apartment buildings by this March coming up 2024. So we are hoping to move 125 households through our programming by that time. That's one of our more immediate goals. And then really just rolling rolling from there. Yeah, and for EMIS, basically energy management and information system, uh, we plan to take the first three households by early 2024 and then scale up, scale it up to 15 households at the production level, then we will go to a larger scale implementation that would consider around 300 households. Excellent. Well, uh, Megan, Asad, uh, I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Energize Bridgewater is more than a climate change initiative, more than an anti-poverty strategy. Both of those are obviously important, but taken together, it all amounts to more than the sum of its parts. With good data and the right application of new technology, these types of big win solutions can happen very simply and affordably and continue to grow and provide community benefits. All over this country, we are facing big, immediate, sometimes overwhelming problems which often affect us simultaneously. It makes sense, then, that our solution should be able to combat these issues simultaneously. For the town of Bridgewater, bringing an end to energy poverty is the fix. Thank you for listening to The Future Fix, Solutions for Communities Across Canada. We are a partnership between Spacing Magazine and Evergreen for the Community Solutions Network. 
As the program lead, Evergreen is working with Open North to help communities of all sizes across Canada navigate the smart cities landscape. The Community Solutions Network is supported with funding provided by the Government of Canada. This podcast was produced by myself, Glenn Bowerman, and Neil Hinchley. Original music composed by Neil Hinchley. Our content consultant is Angela Perillo. Tune in to the next Future Fix, where we talk about emergency geomapping.